This podcast is a collaboration between Costard and Touchstone Productions and the Dads from the Crypt podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the How Not to Make a Movie podcast. My name is Alan Katz. And I'm Gil Adler. Uh, today, we're, we have a guest uh, named Terry Castle. And Terry, her dad was a, a filmmaker named William Castle. And perhaps some of you know who that is. I'm William Castle. I suspect if you're tuning in, you probably do. But if you don't, we're going to introduce you to a, an amazing person, an amazing filmmaker from the point of view of, of his daughter, Terry. But the reason that we're even talking about William Castle is because Gil made a, a couple of, of movies. They were remakes of, of, of some of Castle's great movies. And how is it that, that you came to, to, to make those movies, Gil? Uh, well, Joel had, made a, had done a partnership with Bob Zemeckis, and they created a company called Dark Castle. All right. And they invited me, actually, to join them in a smaller way um, to make some... They, they, they weren't offering you a partnership. No, they weren't offering me an equal partnership. That's what they weren't offering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but it was an interesting relationship. And, you know, one of the first things that they did was they had access to and, 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 and you know, got, got the rights for William Castle Library. Mm. Uh, at the same time, Dick Donner was getting the, the, the rights for all the Hammer movies, the English company Hammer. Oh. And so there was a bit of a competition going on between Dick and, and Joel in, in that in those days. But what? Yeah. Oh, we no. are, we, yeah. Hard to believe. Right. Uh, but we you know, we we went ahead and we made uh, we did a remake on of House on Haunted Hill. Was that, then, that was the first one? That was the first one. And then the second one, we did uh, 13 Ghosts. Right. And my favorite was The Tingler, which I desperately wanted to make. And that was going to be the third one, which we we never got there. We just never got to doing it. Why? Why did you avoid? We 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 have a we have a way of, of dying after the second film project. What the fuck? Yeah. No. I think I think I don't think I don't think they liked it as much as I did. And also, there were some issues with how do you present some of the physical stuff contemporary in a contemporary way that's not laughable. I mean, some of the stuff in the original one, as we discussed with, we'll discuss with Terry is, you know, some of the stuff where I recognize something as a, a real physical something, and they're saying it's scary, and it's inside the body. The, the, the audience had evolved considerably since, since William Castle made his movies in, in the, uh, in the oh, I would hope so. late 50s, early 60s, when the yeah. audience became way more sophisticated. Oh, yeah. This is like, what, 50 years later, 40 years later? Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and it was a very different world. And it was a different. But the basic tenant of the stories were good ones. Sometimes they got a little off the, the, the effects and, and how he presented some things were like a little little wacky and a little dopey. Um, but the audience accepted it and liked it. We couldn't do that today. We couldn't do that when, yeah. or when we made those movies. And, you know, Castle was was especially famous for... Uh, the movies probably paled in comparison to the promotional the gimmicks uh, approach. The gimmicks of sale, yeah. The gimmicks of sale were unbelievable. Just a, a genius. He would make he would make chairs chairs vibrate. Yeah, yeah. And he would say no, and they would say, "Well, how many chairs?" And they, uh, we can do a few. And they go, "No, no, all the chairs. I want them all to vibrate." 
and they and the studios and the and the people who own the, the theaters would say, well, wait, wait, wait a minute, you want all the you can't have all the all the how are you going to make all the chairs vibrant? That's yeah. what I want. That, or 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 the with with with, with, with House on Haunted Hill, he had a a ghost, um, a skeleton, a skeleton on a, on a on a wire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it was it a ghost or a skeleton? It was a skeleton. Skeleton, okay. And, and it would and we go and come down on a wire. I mean, it was, there was no physicality to this in terms of how did they do that? It was like right in front of you. Right <laughs> it was it was not a complicated joke, but it was funny it was and also it, and also if you hadn't seen it, it, it was scary. I mean, yeah. people were frightened, and that's really what he wanted to do. So he brought a, a degree of showmanship that you know no one had done before in in scary horror movies. Yeah. And I don't think anyone has done as well since. He he brought real theatricality into the into the auditorium where the movie. Yeah, and, and, and his background was in the theater. Yeah, right. and so he brought that. I mean, in, in some ways, you know, my background in the theater brought me to a place where I started making movies, and then the th theatricality of the theater, I think, is sort of instilled in me yeah. in terms of how do you make a movie, and what do you what's important about making that movie? What, what's important about what you tell the audience and when you tell it to them and how you tell it to them. And what are you trying to, what, what kind of reaction are you trying to generate from them as they're, as you're portraying and, and, and telling them the story? Yeah. You know, the, the, the theater also, because it's live, there's, there's no margin for error. And no. so there's, you, you have to learn a whole other bunch of skills just to, you know, not fall off that high wire. Oh, and one of them is, and one of the, them is to keep going. No matter what happens, you got to keep going. Absolutely. These are important lessons at the yeah. end of the day. Yeah. The oh, yeah. show, the show must go on. Right. Uh, and this show must go on. And in, in, in fact, to uh, let, let's, let's, uh, let's bring in Terry. Let's bring in Terry. She's fantastic. You know what? I am what I am. <laughs> Aren't we all? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> it's, it's funny the 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 timing of of this conversation with you is 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 interesting to me personally. Um, we will get to Rosemary's Baby. We will of course we we will get to Rosemary's Baby. But do my pardon. Do we have to? No, I'm kidding. Go on. Do we have to? Well, we'll we'll certainly touch on it. Okay, I just afraid of that movie. But anyway, go on. No worries. We'll. No, we'll it's fine. We'll take that under under. Uh, <clears throat> under advisement my my son just turned 24 yesterday and he was born in vancouver i was doing a show called the outer limits for for showtime and the night that my wife went into labor we were Don't watching tell me he had rosemary's baby story we were watching that movie <laughs> and we, we well, watched wife i actually had a dream the night i went into labor huh. about rosemary's baby oh that's so funny no, it's not. <laughs> and your poor wife, tell her I am so oh. sorry. Oh, no. But, you know, being the people that we are, we watched it all the way through to, to the ending and enjoyed, of course, you know, it was not the first time we'd seen the movie. So, right. you know, we knew exactly what we were watching and what we were doing as my wife was in labor. Uh, it, it just seemed so poetic. <laughs> there you go, right? In a perverse oh, way, but 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 this is what we all do this is this is this is who we all are we're 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 not like other people no we're not and that you know of course yeah we're not and i literally did have a rosemary dream oh my god this before i gave birth and it wasn't good 
It wasn't a good dream. So that, you know, it was creepy. Did, did my, doctor, my doctor was not my, you know, who I thought she was. <laughs> did, did he advise like his father? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and speaking of, of. This is real. This isn't a dream. Sorry, right. go ahead. Speaking of of eyes like 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 her father, um, I have eyes like my father. Huh? That's, that was my <laughs> that was my question. Do you have eyes like like your father? Cool. I look exactly like him. Wow. And and when he people would comment when we'd walk down the street, they would like, oh my god, you look so much like your father. Wow. He taught me hmm. in William Castle form to kiss my hand because I was now looking like him, and I should be so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> What a remarkable, there's, there's, there's something uh, um, Horatio Alger-like about your dad. Uh, I didn't tell you the best part about dad. Yeah. Nicest man in the world. So it seems. Joel Silver. So is who? Joel Silver, the opposite. Well, you know, it, it's, it's mm. funny and, and we, we will, we will, mm. we will come to this. I, I felt tremendous. I, I related to your dad in a lot of ways. You know, he, he had an odd relationship with Harry Cohn, that kind of that Gil and Gil and I have. Right. The Joel Silver. There's there, there's a monster that we have to deal with and survive. But dad respected him. Yeah. But but again, we're we're we're, right. we're jumping all over the place. And in order to get to be that person, uh, your dad the first 10 years of his life, there were two very you know, big hardships that under normal circumstances might not produce a person quite like your dad. He, he lost his, was it his mom at nine and his dad at 10? 11, yeah. What, orphaned. what happened? They, his, his mother died of uh, pneumonia and then his father died of a heart attack. And he had an older sister who he like sort of slept on the, her couch for a while. Mm -hmm. but he basically raised himself. And where and, was that? What, where where in, were they? He was in New York. They lived in New York. Yeah, up in up, up in Riverside Drive. Oh yeah. <clears throat> this the, the story really is 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 quite amazing. Um, right. He at was it nine? He sees Dracula. Was that is it nine years old? He yeah. sees he sees. Bella Lugosi, yeah, in a production of Dracula, live, yes. a live version of Dracula, and he has that moment that you know most of us have, where you suddenly go, "Godoin, right. why I'm here? I know what I have to do, and I certainly know what I want to do." Uh, and then he, your dad went back and watched that show again and again and again. Yes, he How did. How many times did he actually watch oh, no. Bella Lugosi? I mean, he probably snuck in, you know, a dozen times. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah, sure, yeah. sure. Okay, yeah. sure, sure. Yeah. But, but then finally, yeah. and again, it's it's perseverance. It's, uh, God, there's yeah, an object. And I think, I think, you know, there was a combination of, you know, the, the capture of the, captured the imagination. Mm. Sure. But then I think there was also, after he lost his family, yeah. the feeling of family on whether it was theatrical or plays or Broadway or movie sets or, you know, at Columbia. Um, I think it was the feeling of family that he gravitated to towards so much, too. Yeah, yeah. 
he he's still you know like i said he he persisted and, and he eventually he, he meets bella lugosi yeah and not only does he meet bella lugosi but mr lugosi takes your dad very much under his I'd say his wing but under his cape <laughs> he does and, he does and, he does and i don't know if that's where the horror i mean that's where he was bitten uh, here you go once it starts there's no stopping i told you alan it runs in the family i told you but you know that you know started his his brain um and his desire to 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 work actually in theater um but to make horror films was the um him seeing the lines for Di diabolique the french mm -hmm. film and how successful it was that's when he actually took the first step to mortgage our house buy a book called macabre and make it into a movie he he your dad does say in his book that seeing bella lugosi was was the first moment when it occurred to him that he wanted to scare the crap out of people yeah yes yeah now, how i think know, that a little bit with the greatest song oh, oh, oh yes 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 i i but let's, let's go with it mario and, and my dad's a, daughter yes that was the moment he knew he had to make horror films and he knew he knew somewhere along the line he'd have he'd come up to the devil and he well, and the devil would have why to are you stepping on the man's myth <laughs> <laughs> never i would never do that <laughs> it's uh but still his his persistence and, and his you know, well he, like i said he, he bella lugosi i'll tell you one thing sure he wouldn't buy this this notion of how not to make a movie like people would come to him i, mean, I might be jumping around here and he would say sure. you know i want to be a producer and he'd reach deep into his pocket and he'd oh, go like this and he'd go Puff, your producer now go produce. Hmm. <laughs> oh, it, it, it's absolutely true. It, as 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 Gil can attest, as I can attest, it is a you have to go do. Yeah, it is. That's that's the magic sauce. It's the magic sauce. The secret yeah. sauce is is going and doing, and you succeed sometimes, and you fail other times. And, and you have to have chutzpah or balls or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> uh, indeed. Uh, well, that's a hard lesson. That's a really hard lesson to learn. You know. It's a really, um, really hard lesson. To, and if I, you don't have it, you don't have it. Yeah, I asked Joe Papp and Bernie Gersten for a job and Jules Irving when he was running Lincoln Center almost every day when I was living in New York. Give me a job. I'll do anything. Just give me a job. I just want to work at Lincoln Center. I just want to work at the Shakespeare Festival. And Joe, you know, took me aside one day and said, yo, I can't give you a job here. You'll frighten everybody away because you'll take over everyone's job. And, <laughs> and you're going to be a producer. You, you just you just sound like a producer. You're going to be a producer. So produce something. And I would walk out of the room almost in tears, feeling like, Joe, if you don't like me, just say you hate me and throw me out. Don't don't give me. And then when I produced a play that was successful and Joe and Bernie were there in the audience and came up to me afterwards, it said, now you're a producer. I Then I understood what they were talking about. Talking about yeah, but it is a really hard thing. It is really hard. And I think, it's, do you think it's harder today? I think it's much harder. To, well, I think in a lot of ways, it's much harder. And in some ways, it's easier. I think the social media aspect of it makes it much more accessible to a, a wide audience and people seeing your material in a much greater way and a much more convenient way. 
I mean, when we were at it doing it, you know, 20 years ago or more, you know, you had an off-Broadway play, you had a workshop someplace, but people had to be there. You didn't have this media advantage where you could get, you know, 5 million, 2 million, half a, half a million people watching it all at one time. Right. So that makes it much more accessible. And I think the people who are looking to finance those kinds of projects are much more into looking at that at that arena now than they ever have before. So it's a, it's a lot easier in a way, but yeah. I think the competition is much greater. That makes sense to me. Yeah. I then, yeah. You know, I, I, I'm going to drag us back to to, to Bella Lugosi. Lugosi, okay. okay. Because it, it, I think because, it's the rain that's bringing out Bella. But <laughs> because it really has to do with you know, but the stage. Because I think uh, your dad took a lot of, away from his experience with the stage. He did everything. Uh, at, was, everything. At 15 was, years yeah. old, he drops out of school. Yeah. And he becomes a theater creature. Uh, his whole, in fact, his teenage years are spent entirely on Broadway. He's building yeah. sets. He's he's working backstage. Sometimes he's even anything. He would do anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're also talking about a time where there was no money, and he was, and he was living in Greenwich Village, you know, and not being able to pay his rent, and had this amazing landlord, and like, you know, he was he would do it, you know. He was hungry. I mean, he was literally hungry. Yeah, yeah. That's a huge thing too. Oh, hey, it is the greatest motivator going, right? But then he also combined that that hunger, right? The ambition with now he has come of age, really, in the theater, and his sense of the of of the spectacle is is quite theatrical, right? And he's come uh, really. He, he has now been you know his mentor is is a very melodramatic performer character, right? And yeah, who who really it's all about shtick. Yeah, that combined with hunger and fear is what made dad his, the showman mm. that he became. And so the, he, in order his his path to become the showman, because I wanna I, I wanna I want our audience to appreciate how you get to be a William Castle, you know, coming from where you come from. But then, okay, so he spends well, a lot. You, of time. you read his book, right? I have. I've seen portions of it. It's an what? amazing. It's an amazing story. It's it's simply amazing, but I'm more. But there's stuff that he has left out, which has to do with the personal. Okay. Which is really where you know that's that's really where I want to plot. You know, I want to establish certain things. You know, he, did, did you ever hear the story where he took over the Connecticut a Connecticut theater? Um, yeah, yeah. He he gets a hold of Orson Welles's telephone number. Well, and Orson says. You know, you could have this theater, yes, play, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And there's many. You know, Dad tells the story in great detail, but in talk, there was he had a German actress named Ellen Schwanke, who Hitler uh, sent her a note said you need to come back to perform in, in, and my dad got hold of this. And then he used that as an opportunity. He was like, okay, I'm going to be the man who says no to Hitler. And then he planted all these stories everywhere. And again, the, the, you know, the theatrical in him, the spectacle person mm. in him, which he learned mm. combined with the uh, fact that 
he hadn't was it hadn't sold a ticket and it was going to be a flop it was like the hottest summer in connecticut nobody had bought a ticket and he was going to be a failure which was so motivating to him you sure made him go out in the middle of the night with spray paint he was a jew yes and, and with his spray paint paint yeah swastikas all over the box office and topple it and break the glass and you know say all these anti-jewish slogans so that the governor got involved and it was a huge hit and that you know everybody came you know they came in their minx coats in the suddenly everyone well suddenly he he had <clears throat> all right he, he had created an artificial event around yeah. the movie where suddenly yeah. there were people cared about the movie when when previously they yeah. didn't care. It was rather audacious. I mean, rather uh, it, it, it worked. <laughs> the, 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 the play apparently was was a huge success. Huge success. Yeah. And that's how he learned, you know. So what is that? So that's learning what he learned from the theater and taking that idea. Right. And then McCall, his first movie, he had put money in. He oh, had put a hundred. Let's, 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 let's not get him quite there yet because he hasn't gone through the Harry Cohn machine yet. Okay. And and I think there's a lot that he takes away from the Harry Cohn experience that also, you know, he, he arrives, he's, you know, how to be a movie maker. And, and he, wow, he, it doesn't take him very long from the time that he arrives at Columbia to suddenly Harry Cohn has him directing movies. Like, many movies like all sorts of movies like you know this movie in five days this movie in 20 days it was just like you know what was it the uh god the, the i just saw the budget for one of them was fifty thousand dollars well uh head of hopper said it was seventy five thousand uh, dollars your dad said it was fifty thousand dollars and the schedule was seven days it was was it something to, to call it I, I met a stranger uh, uh strangers married one of his, that was one of his first ones was when strangers marry. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it was just, I mean, just ridiculous schedules and ridiculous right? budgets. And yeah, and he was actually quite a good director. He was a really solid director. I, it's funny. I, I saw a little bit of masters, uh, from, uh, masters from, from Kansas. Okay. Uh, I've never, Matt Masterson from, from, from Kansas about Bat okay. Masterson. It's, it's a Western and it's all right. The script is, the script is i would say it's rather direct it's not it's not bad it's it's not subtle let's say but really it's it's the characterizations are all bang on the actors are yeah are actually quite good it's actually really well made in its fundamentals you're by yeah absolutely your your dad was was of a terrific nuts and bolts director he he absolutely positively yeah he 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 could direct anything yeah and he loved it and he loved the people and he wanted you know he loved he loved the people and he loved um the he loved the family again he was orphaned this when you go on to a movie set everybody there becomes your family for those two weeks, whatever it was, but there it was longer because (laughs) two weeks, them, huh? No, but yeah, I know. But I mean, but you know, you work with the same people. I mean, we, I remember as a little girl walking onto movie sets with dad and everybody would be, Hey Bill, Hey Bill, like from the Raptors or the, you know, you you just, 
it was that that was that was the relationships that that makes such such sense that 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 you know a man who who really his family was taken away from him found found family in this world and i'm sure the the theater world was family because that's that's the nature of the theater world and and certainly one of the the most appealing things about you know being on a film set if you're there for a length of time is 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 the bonding the the social experience of uh, of having this new family and he loved that i'm sure he loved that I'm and he sure. you know and he, and he loved the creative process and you know he just and he loved stories i mean it was you know my entire life his nose was in a book or you know tell me the story to anybody who would walk in the room you now, know <clears throat> now it, it's remarkable that your Dad was one of the few people that Harry Cohn, one of the legendary monsters of Hollywood. Right. That Harry Cohn liked your dad. Uh, just to, to give the audience a sense of, of what a monster Harry Cohn was when he died. And everyone in Hollywood showed up. Uh, it was Red Skelton was giving the eulogy. And Red Skelton said, uh, you know, this today is a demonstration of, of everything that Harry believed. If you, if you, if you, put out something that people want, they will show up. Interesting. You know, there was Harry Cohn dead and everybody showed up. Well, what my dad said, like in the later years when like um, studios began to become these corporations, he's like, you know, I knew Harry Cohn, he was an asshole, but yeah. I, knew his, I knew his kind of assholiness. <laughs> you know, he understood it. He could yeah. deal with it. And I'm sure that's how you guys kind of felt. Like you felt yeah. like you could deal with it because you knew it and understood it. And I think that was dad's relationship with Harry. It, <clears throat> it, it, it seemed like with, with Harry Cohn, as you know, our, our, our analog is Joel Silver. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we know for a fact- Harry didn't wear pajamas to work. That was maybe a little different. Harry Cohn- No, no actually, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, Joel used to wear, I used to always say to him, he was wearing pajamas. He yeah. would say, no, oh. no, it's a, it's, very, it's a very chic outfit I'm wearing. And Our, I would say, okay, it's pajamas. It's very chic pajamas. And then, of course, we get into a fight. Right. But he was, I met him. He was wearing pajamas. Yeah. Yes. Our first assistant director on Bordello of Blood was a guy named Lee Knipperberg. And Lee would refer to Joel when Joel would visit our set as the pajaminator. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Lee, Lee was Canadian, so he called him the pajaminator. Pajaminator. That's very funny. Yeah, that was intense. But we can get off the subject, but... We'll right. go back there later because I felt so sorry for Bill Malone on House on Haunted Hill. I didn't know what to do with myself. Oh, uh, but it but mm. dealing with with the Harry Cones and the Joel Silvers is is not every but not everybody does that successfully. Right? Did did your dad ever bring home some of the the Ajita that that Harry that I, Harry must have caught? Yeah, it was. It, I was a, well. I was a little young because. I think dad, I mean, because I was born after the Harry Cohn period, pretty much. So I, I don't remember him bringing that home. Gotcha. I mean, I have, you know, all these telegrams from when my mom and dad were traveling. It'd be like, you know, need it on movie. Stop. Come home right away. Stop. My dad would be like, been here one day. This is honeymoon. Stop. Harry Cohn says, get back here, you SOB, stop. And dad would be like, okay, stop. Yeah. 
I have a couple of similar situations. It really we'll is. About another time. <laughs> right? Right, Gil? town attracts yeah. a certain kind of, of asshole. <laughs> it just right? does. But yeah. it's Charles Bluedorn who really scared the crap out of him. Right. Really? That is? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Open Western. Yeah. yeah. In the Rosemary's Baby days. I mean, yeah. that was, he was scary. Why? All right. What What was scary to your dad about, about Bluedorn? You know, I don't know particularly, but he would be shaking in his, I mean, he was in the middle of making Rosemary's Baby. He'd be summoned to the, you know, New York to the top floor of, you know, and Charles Bluedorn, who like was this German, like, yeah. like was just an ass i mean he was just mean and he was going to take away the end of the and then you know there was frank sinatra involved and then there's mia farrow and they're over budget and my dad hasn't you know my dad made entire movies in the amount of time it took polanski to do one scene and it was just it was just a lot (laughs) yeah yeah i i yeah yeah so dad had to stick up for stick up for roman and you know meanwhile you know you know, you know, he's going crazy because it's like, oh my God, he just, you know, 400 takes. I would have been, you know. <laughs> and where, and where, did, where was Bob Evans in all this? So he was in New York on, you know, and dad would have to either fly there or they did some shooting, you know, in New York and he'd have to go up there and he'd have to meet with him and he would be terrified. Mm-hmm. I mean, I literally remember him being really, I was really young. I was laughed. I'm like, I was 11 when I met Roman Polanski. Um <laughs> <laughs> Did your dad ever feel, um, you might not know the answer to this, but, you know, considering just the executives he'd have to deal with, maybe a little grateful that, that he wasn't directing the picture? I, uh, no, uh, he, he, no, he loved how it came out, but he got very sick after that movie and he never was able to like, like, he was never able to make an A film. And for my dad, he died as he died being a failure. He didn't, he wasn't in the A class filmmakers, you know. So, you know, there's that whole, there's that whole story, you know. Hmm. So, yeah, no. (laughs) Well, let's, all right. In, uh, alas, if if we could only live to, to see how we are, how history treats us, Right. I, I think he would have I been, know he would have blown he would, away. He would have been thrilled to pieces because really I mean, people are watching the tingler. People are watching, you know, yeah. all the originals and they're like they're loving the gimmicks and they're laughing and they're watching, you know, Vincent Price take his first LSD trip. And, you know, it's just it's met it's so it's so much fun. I mean, you so, know, so in 1958, this this that's when when suddenly really the William Castle that that all right, that the world really appreciates. Although, you know, th- th- there were some some good movies before then. I mean, are there any, or before we go into the, into, into the you know, William Castle Productions days, are there any of his, of his, you know, his Directorial pictures that, that really deserve more love in your mind? I love the Whistler series. Um, I mean, I look at those and technically, I think they're a solid direct, you know, for what it was, mm-hmm. but it's hard to like get past how much fun his later movies were, right? I mean, it was just the sheer fun of going to the movies. Sure, sure, sure. And uh, all right, so uh, he he sees the Ebola. And also, I was more, I, I was of age. Right. With his other ones. You know, in, sure. in the 40s, in 50s, I, you know, I don't remember that much. And I and I didn't see them in young, when I was young, because you couldn't get them. Hmm. So uh, you're... 
your dad makes you a cob. He he mortgages your house to make a cob. Yes. Yes, I was. I was not. I don't even know if I was born yet. Okay, but, um, but, but might still. have been the year I was born. They, yeah, yeah. He says to my mom, "Yeah, we're going to mortgage the house, you know, and we're going to get this hundred thousand dollars, and then he makes the movie in ten days or so, whatever it is, for a hundred thousand dollars, right?" <clears throat> yeah. And it's not that good. It's okay. It's not that scary. Um, and. But he has a couple of great yeah. gimmicks in mind. Well, he wakes up in the middle of the night. He's like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, nobody comes. But he, it, it, it almost doesn't matter what the movie is. He, all right. So he has the idea for the million dollar life. Hey, he policy. wakes up in the middle of the night. He's like, "No one's gonna come. What am I gonna do?" Huh. And we had, a, we had an uncle. I had an uncle that lived in England and works for Lloyd's of London. He's like, "Insure moviegoers against death by fright." Awesome. And they die when they're seeing that film. They'll get a million. They'll get a, what was a thousand dollars? Yeah, a thousand dollars. Sure, we'll get a thousand dollars. They lined up. They wanted to see. Oh God, this thing must be so scary. I mean, people are dying in the theaters and getting cash. It, and was, it was odd, you know. Again, like it was the showmanship from like those days, like you said, like from you know when he was a kid. But it was also out of fear. Like no one's going to come see my movie. What can I do to get people in? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But well, it's death by fright. And when that was such a success, he kept it going. <laughs> he was, you know, he was really way, way, way ahead of the curve. He understood branding. He, he branded himself. Such yeah. a huge way that, that yeah, that. that I mean, people, he would go to, he would go to Youngstown, Ohio, and he would be there when the movie opened. You know, he'd go everywhere with those movies and he would open those movies and he would get skeleton keys from, you know, wonderful people and, you know, to, you know, to like these tiny towns as, as the movies opened. He, when, when did the logo come, come about? With the sky, you know, I don't know exactly what year that happened. I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. I mean, the man was. I don't thinking, ever remember it not being there, so I don't know. It's, I mean, that's a, a rather interesting way for a person to, for a, he's not yeah, an actor, he, really he's a director of and a producer. And, and and he's got a. I'm walking. No, I no had, worries. It, it, it's quite a remarkable. Yeah. I mean, I even have. I'm sorry, I'm walking. No worries, no worries. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> the logo. Yeah, 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 yeah. Was, uh, my cocktail. It was worth, it was worth the walk. Huh? It was worth the walk. <laughs> Here, do you want to see something else that's really wild? <clears throat> Can you see this? Uh, yeah, it's a picture. It looks like Santa Claus. Yeah. And... Santa Claus has a cigar. Is that your dad? Is Santa Claus from? No, Bill? Who else could it be? You see, the my. There you uh, go. It, it's it's hard to read the the words. You're gonna have to fill Fort in the Mellon blank. family from Orson. And oh, him. from Orson. Oh, for, oh, good God. Hey, it's not everybody that has a a Christmas card from Orson Welles. Here's another one. Oh my God. Oh wow, this is awesome stuff. Oh, thank you so much for showing this to us. <laughs> multiple Christmas hand-drawn Christmas cards from yeah. and by Orson uh, Orson yeah. Wells. I like I found those. I'm like I'm framing those and putting them up. Wow! <laughs> oh my God! But those must be worth. Oh my good lord! Oh. <laughs> Who knows? 
they, I, I don't know. They're worth everything to me because it's oh, you know. they're fantastic. And and you know, look at War of the Worlds. I mean, it was in that's also I think something that influenced Dad. I mean, how could it not? Uh, you 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 sent everyone into panic over a story that you right? were producing, right? A made up story. That's. That's the greatest publicity you could possibly want. I, I do think that had a huge influence on Dad. And, and of all the people to be influenced by, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, 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 I, I, it's I, like all I, the confluences, kind of like, yeah. You know, and and to a degree, it, it kind of reflects. You know, was it Oscar Wilde said, "It's better to be talked about than not talked about." Right. All publicity <laughs> is good publicity. What are you talking exactly. about? Yeah. It's the same, but but that is the the impresario's way of thinking, right? Right. Whatever brings them in the door, who cares? You sold the ticket. <laughs> Isn't that the bottom line? And, and, and yeah, when, when I was a little girl, we would go to when Rosemary's Baby was playing. We would go to the movie theater on Westwood. It was played at. Yeah. I forgot the theater. Was it the Crest? It was on Westwood, right below, below Wilshire, I believe. Sure. And he would count. Like he would be three fifty plus three fifty. <laughs> but he was such a nice guy that after Rosemary's Baby played for like he played for a very long time, he went to the theater and he gave a tip to the popcorn guys and to the ticket guys because <laughs> they were because so <laughs> they were family <laughs> to him. <laughs> Wild, huh? <clears throat> the uh, the 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 gimmicks were were increasingly well, they, they they were genius. The each film had well, it was a genius. The gimmicks were genius, but huh. getting the studios buy in was even more. I don't know how he did it. The, I'm going to put electric shocks under the seats of theaters. Can right. you imagine that? The can you imagine? <laughs> it is a, it is such a it's such a and, and you don't have to do it on, on, under all the seats you only have to do it under a couple because it, once you get one or two people screaming hey the power of the mind it, it's the madness of crowds suddenly they'll all start screaming right yeah, yeah. and then also like people like john waters like talk about like how they would go and they'd look under the seat to make sure they got one yeah oh yeah 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 i, I can imagine he he is one of your dad's biggest fans ever. Yeah, he is john waters yeah. Uh, and, and 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 I have a certain appreciation for Waters because I grew up in Baltimore. So yeah, perfect. There you it go. It all comes around. It all. I love John around. Waters. He's the nicest man. It was odd. Yeah, he was a great. Yeah, I love John. I just happened to pick up the phone in William Castlefast and called Bruce Berman, who I my sister knew, and he thought I was my sister, so I just played along. Right. And I said, "Could I come and talk to you? I think we should remake House on Haunted Hill." And he said, come on in. So I flew with dad. I was living up in the Bay Area. He said, I have good news. Literally, like I got there like 10 minutes later. I have good news and I have bad news. The good news is it's greenlit. You're making it. The bad news is you're making it with Joel Silver. <laughs> 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 I didn't know what he meant. I had no idea. Yeah, you but were the back. The most in interesting part of the entire thing is now I know House on a Haunted Hill is in the public domain. Wow. Like Warners didn't even have the rights. I mean, it's, it's in the public domain. They claim to have the rights, but they right. don't. <laughs> Alan, Al, what she's saying is that it was in the public domain when Warner Brothers. And oh, John, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They just got they thought they had to buy it. Oh, you're, oh my. All right. Let, let's take a step. Thank you for, 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 for wrenching my eyes open. 
<laughs> All right, so so go back and please explain that because it it went past me. I, I don't want to go past no, no, the, the public. It, what happened is <clears throat> there's many 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 different libraries because it was done with a library allied artists, and then that was bought. And it, yeah, it yeah, yeah, yeah. Many times, but um, <clears throat> oh, I, no, I didn't own the rights to it either, Gil. It was literally in the public domain. Somebody just registered it incorrectly and it fell in the public domain and warner brothers didn't re i mean i'm not they probably knew but they didn't say anything i mean really anybody out there come yeah. on let's do a, i want to do a prequel to it when we get to to 1959 uh yeah. he has he drops two so he, amazing he really well with macabre classic movies yeah uh, well we get uh, uh, isn't it the Tingler and and Haunted well, Hill the, drop the yeah, same year? Yeah, Haunted Hill and the Tingler. Yeah, yeah. I mean, wow! What Haunted yeah, Hill? The gimmick there was Emergo or Emergo, however you want to pronounce it, and that's <clears throat> when the skeleton comes out of the vat of acid. It flies through the theater. Yes. You know, it, it's funny, as I was reading some people's experiences of it, people who would just go again and again, and, and, and after a while, you, they they knew it was coming, they, they were, they would be shooting at it, they, they would shoot popcorn, yeah, things at it, which, yeah. which kind of, and it, it was kind of this limp, kind of like, like stupid skeleton, it wasn't even a good skeleton, but it, but it was, <laughs> but, it was, but, it, skeleton. but, it, but in time, this now becomes part of the audience participation in the totally. movie. Totally. Which which is beginning to which anticipates Rocky Horror Picture Show, right? If you think right. about it, right? Which is entirely it's gone from what's happening on the screen and what's happening out in the audience are suddenly are intensely related, right? Right, right, right. I I, I just continue to marvel, you know, at uh, and then the Tinkler, you know, it's like, what do you do with the Tinkler? Well, obviously, you have to, you know, put electric shocks under the seats. I mean, isn't that just like you know, a no brainer? The, <laughs> the Tingler was always my favorite. The Tingler, I loved. I always loved the Tingler. It's my Gil, It's my favorite of Dad's movies. Really? And I, that's the only one that could never be remade, in my opinion, because it's perfect the way it is. It's so campy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? It's just so I, campy. I, I remember the first time I saw it. I remember the first time I saw it, and and they throw out what the Tingler is, yeah. and I'm looking at it. I'm going, wait a minute. That's it's an arm. That looks like someone's arm. What is that? <laughs> Be part of somebody. Wait, wait a second. It's, a, it's an arm. Why, why couldn't they do something bigger and better? It's an arm. I see it's an arm. How can it stick in a guy's stomach? And I just remember looking at it and, and watching that over and over again, going, Can anybody else think of this? It's an arm. Oh my gosh. It's like so stupid, but it's great. I mean, it's perfect. Yeah. It's perfect to me. The Tingler and House, especially mm. House, mm. I thought Rob White did a great. I thought it was so well written. I mean, you can really tell that Rob White had a problem with women, <laughs> but it's a, it's really well written. They're both really well written. <laughs> and I thought Dick Dick Beebe did a really good job too on House on Haunted Hill the remake. Yeah, I did too. Didn't you? Yeah, I thought he did a really good job. Yeah, your you know, it took yeah, a while. It took a while to get there, though. I mean, with all of these kinds of scripts, to be respectful of the original, which we were really, really concerned about, and yet make it contemporary for an audience today, you know, was was not an easy task. And we went through a lot of different imaginations about how to treat character and how to treat women and how to treat the, the horror in so many different ways to get to where we finally got to. 
when we were shooting, I remember there wasn't, there wasn't really an end until somewhere in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> that was another, we'll do it. We'll fix it with an ADR line. Yeah. Right. Well, in the sequel, we'll explain how it ended. <laughs> Your dad had an interesting relationship with Alfred Hitchcock. Yes. Uh, a competitive relationship. I, I assume okay. that that they also at, at friendly. Times, it was a friendly. Yeah, yeah. that they they would hang yeah, out. Yeah, have pretty a, much thought he, you know, he, he yeah thought he was a, just amazing. I love Hitchcock, but you know, I mean, wasn't it Psycho where it was like you know all of a sudden there's a gimmick with Psycho? You know, you can't enter the theater if it started. Right. So I mean, so you know, there's a little back and forth. Well, <laughs> dad does, you... and then Dad does homicidal, which kind of has the themes of Psycho in it, right? <laughs> but you know, hey, if if the market's saying everyone's doing the right thing, and yeah, you begin to feed off each other. That's there's that's 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 to be expected. And in the case of of Hitchcock, he's just borrowing from the best, wasn't he? But, yeah, your yeah. your dad. Uh, well, my dad was borrowing from the best too with Hitchcock. I mean, that was his logo, right? That's <laughs> there you go. I mean, you know, it, it why not? Yeah, why not take from, from why not Hitchcock and uh, Orson Welles? I mean, they're not bad people <laughs> to make coffee. We're still talking about your dad's oeuvre, right? We're still, no. you know, he, he died he, in 1977. He is as he is as 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 fresh today as 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 probably fresher. Really, it's, yeah. it's, it's amazing. It's amazing to me. The reason I actually thought about House on Haunted Hill and remaking it is because I was living in New York and I would be going to these small mom and pop shops and like video shops. And I'd be like, House on Haunted Hill, top three video rental. I'm like, how is that possible? You know, to me, that blew my mind. Uh, obviously, your your dad wanted very much to direct Rosemary said, uh, Rosemary's because you know that would have been a change that would have taken him to a different place career wise right but could he have done this film that Roman did no it would have been a very different film I'm sure it would have been a solid great film but there's no way my dad would have been able to do that dream sequence that way no way that was I mean the other thing is Roman's like ability to like work with the cinematographer as closely as he did was yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you know as as we said your dad was a was a real a terrific rock solid nuts and bolts filmmaker really? he, he he understood how to, how to tell a story in in the medium you know in in all the fundamentals well uh, he read the book he read the galleys he got yeah, the galleys yeah yeah um and made my mom it was very expensive to buy the the rights to that. It was Ira Levin, who yeah. was already pretty famous. And again, he said to my mom, you have to read this because I want to mortgage the house in the morning. <laughs> I want to mortgage the house in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> Start reading now. <laughs> so he mortgaged the house, got the rights. Yeah. And then went over to Paramount and Bob Evans was like, how the fuck did you get this bill? You know, like mm -hmm. another you know, over the top character. How did you get this? You know, and make made a deal, made a lot of money. But you know, the part of it was best best efforts to become that you'll be the director. Well, but I, I, they weren't they I weren't so great. <laughs> I hate those words. Best efforts. best efforts. Right. And Dad was pissed off 
but then he met Roman and he really liked it. And I thought he was just brilliant. So, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's he, he definitely, he, Polanski brought something quite unique to his personality. Yeah. To, to I do have to say, though, seeing a lot of Polanski, I've seen, all, you know, so many of Polanski's films and I might be like a little prejudiced here, but I think dad did keep him really close to the original story and i think that really helped he didn't, he didn't go off on you know weird tangents he stuck to ira levin's story what makes what, what made your dad a great producer is that he was a director yeah you know there's no way a director can can, can bullshit him because <laughs> he knows dude, yeah. what, what, what are you talking to here someone who doesn't know how to direct right and, exactly. and because your dad understood the fundamentals he understood what you need to get out of here right to make the day and your dad was a can you imagine guy can you imagine can you imagine the amount of takes and they're over budget and you know frank sinatra's calling the house and and blue dorn is screaming at my dad and bob evans is like and it's like you know the godfather just you know was up on the horizon and it was like oh it's just i can't imagine i can't imagine the chaos how not to make a movie how not to make a movie i can imagine the chaos yeah. I, i've had chaos like that on on many of them. Right? Yeah. Insanity. I mean, I do remember Frank Sinatra calling the house and just screaming at my dad. Because, you know, Mia Farrow was like 21 years old, you know. Yeah. She's off this movie. Boy, it is It is just sometimes <laughs> when, when, when the larger-than-life personalities smash into you. I know, right? And you're just trying to do your damn job. You're just There's, trying to do it, right? There are a few things quite like that. In, 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 in our podcast, we tell the story in Bordello of Blood of how Sylvester Stallone eh, kind of did the same kind of thing to us with, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you live to tell another tale. We think we have, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. Another but we think tale of the crypt. Yeah. <laughs> He, he was, he was, uh, you know, a, a terrific filmmaker. He was, by all accounts, it seemed, you seem to be saying a terrific dad, too. He's the best dad in the whole world. I mean, he literally was the best dad. I mean, he was, I, I couldn't have had a better childhood. I mean, I didn't know from really, I mean, he'd get calls and he'd be like, Oh, I can't go there. Okay. You know, unless I can bring my kids, can I bring my kids? So like, I do remember going to like, ridiculous like passovers with sid caesar and jan murray <laughs> you know wow. i was you know five but dad wouldn't go in because we were a family and the family to him was everything so we were like a little island a castle was was a, a a translation of of the original family name which was schloss correct the actually the only person that i know from his youth was howard koch what well, of course he's passed away a long time ago but they knew each other in new york huh. but like i never knew my grandparents obviously i had a relationship with my aunt who was 11 years older than my dad yeah i mean i think my my grandfather was an umbrella salesman i mean i think i mean i think he was he was such he went through such hardship mm. that i think wanted to make it easier for everybody else. like you know there's some filmmakers that <clears throat> are so generous with their time and there's some that you know like that you have to make because it was hard for me it has to be hard for you my dad was the kind that i want to make it as easy for you as possible mm -hmm. like come in, they do it you know he would do whatever he could to help people you know find you know find their dreams mm -hmm. um 
because it was such a tough but upbringing but again you know he you know he was always sort of a daredevil he kind of always had chutzpah he like tried to swim the Hudson in the winter he like he did stupid shit (laughs) I tried he took some some kind of medic some kind of drug and thought he could fly off of a roof I don't know he he told me stuff I don't know I don't think dad did LSD but I don't know what he did (laughs) I don't think he knows what he did (laughs) I, I would think that your dad in in the current environment the Wow, the uh, an internet world, uh, a, a podcasting world, a world where you can uh, got a, a TikTok world, a YouTube world where he would think anyone he would love it. Yeah. He would love it. He'd be an influencer. <laughs> I think that's exactly correct. Yeah, I, I think he he would be. Uh, but here would be the issue. God. I'm not sure he'd ever leave the house because he'd be watching movie after movie after movie. I mean, it'd be like, oh my god, I can watch these movies. Like that to him would have been the, and I'm so sorry he didn't get to see that because he loved movies so much. Mm-hmm. Did your dad, watch. did your dad have, have a favorite movie or two? Lawrence of Arabia. Really? Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. He did love Di- Diabolique. Um, but Lawrence of Arabia, I think was one of his favorites. Hmm. What, what did he, uh, I mean, of course, there's a lot to 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 like about Lawrence, but but what in particular do you think? I think I mean, the cinematography, the scope, the story, all of it. He also loved foreign films, so I mean, he loved he loved Amacord. Oh sure. Huh. Um, Are you a Fellini fan? Yeah, this is what he told me. This was his his advice. He said, Terry. You go see the movie the first time, you cannot analyze it. You just got to go and you enjoy it. You don't look for anything. The second time, then you can look for shit. But the first time, you have to go and just enjoy. Good advice. He loved movies, right? Let it wash over you. He loved movies. He really was an exceptionally talented man gone too soon. Gone too soon. And he was the nicest, kindest person in the world. And politically, you know all the right stuff you know he was out there working for the you know those who can't help themselves if uh if, if you were to cast someone to play him today who who would you cast gil adler <laughs> oh stop drinking before we do an interview will you please and and on that <laughs> bombshell on that bombshell thanks for the compliment though <laughs> thank this has been an exquisite conversation terry thank you so much very for, nice to meet you for it's taking us inside you. your 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 life with with uh dad. an amazing dad yeah he was just an amazing dad everything else was like gravy <laughs> great to hear that happy healthy new year and a happy healthy new year to you and and as always thank you everyone for joining us and we will see you next time The How Not to Make a Movie podcast is executive produced by me, Alan Katz, by Gil Adler, and by Jason Stein. Our artwork was done by the amazing Jody Webster, and Jason Jody, along with Mando, are all the hosts of the fun and informative Dads from the Crypt podcast. Follow them for what my old pal the Crypt Keeper would have called terrific Crypt content.